This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. episode 133 133 what's wrong with me uh those bitches buiti binafi and thank you for listening and being here fruit loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about contrary to popular belief not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes there Uh, There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman, and I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. Not her fault. (laughs) we're not journalists investigators or psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime also the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode also if you're new here our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use fruitloopspod for all our social media the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, this is part one of our story on Chiao Tsiang Yuo, a.k.a. Gansu's intestinal digging demon murder case. Wow. That is <laughs> quite a name. <laughs> yes. I mean the Gansu intestinal digging part, not the right, pronunciation. Right, the other one, yeah. Which you nailed, by the way. <laughs> I try. (laughs) So this case, if you haven't guessed by now, is extremely gruesome. So be forewarned. If you don't think you can stand that, uh, please don't listen. And we also have to say that this story was researched and mostly written by one of our fruities. Yes. Who's named Bert Sun. And he's a Chinese-American expat living in Brazil. And thank you, Bert, for helping us big time with this case, which uh, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the only way that he found or was able to research this story is because he reads Chinese. Yes. And a lot of the articles and the sources were in Chinese. And we've done cases like this before. And the translation is off. It's terrible. (laughs) And I know we've put out to people like, hey, like, you know, help us out if you know. And Bert answered the call. Yes, (laughs) And we are so grateful. Yes, yes, yes. So Bert... Man, hip-hop air horns to you, Bert. We love you. Um, 
But uh, before we actually get into the story, how you doing? I'm doing good. So uh, last Friday, I got to meet Adrian Fontes. Oh, fancy. He's yeah. important. Like, I've seen him on TV <laughs> and stuff. Wow. Yeah, he was the Arizona County Recorder from 2017 to 2021. And right now he's getting ready to run for Secretary of State. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he's a really nice, personable guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Latinx. Uh-huh. He grew up in Nogales, Arizona with my neighbor. So ah. my neighbor had a meet and greet at his house and uh, it was really fun. Okay. Um, Lifestyles of the rich and famous up in Beth's <laughs> neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> so Adrian had a lot of stories about growing up in Nogales, which is a border town in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Actually, right across the border, there's Nogales, Sonora, Mexico. And mm-hmm. the two cities together are sometimes referred to as ambos Nogales. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, he talked about why he wanted to be county recorder and now secretary of state and maybe Mainly it's because he has a passion for making voting accessible to all folks who are eligible to vote and blocking voter suppression. So, yeah, no, he's not fucking around with our voting rights. And I know I'm a, I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, so I really appreciate I am a fan of his. And I think that's fantastic um, that on his mission for for voting rights. And, yeah, that's and exciting. I also have to say that I did invite Wendy, but she couldn't go. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there is a lot going on in the Wendy. Williams household. <laughs> I'm barely keeping it together. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I had sick kids, sick husband. Um, we had a COVID scare with the children and currently the um, hospitals uh, in the Phoenix area are really, really busy. Their ICUs and all the COVID testing is backed up. Um, most of the people getting tested, uh, this is what the urgent care doctor told us, are children. And they were coming back oh, wow. positive, which oh was not promising news. No. However, my kids are negative. Um, but we did keep them out of school until we, even though the test Found was delayed out, yeah. for days. Um, uh, we, uh, like a week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a week, It yeah. which is... Uh, it was it was supposed to take 48 hours um right because my grandson also uh had a covid scare and oh right yeah he got tested and they had the results within a day so yeah no we were not so lucky right yeah Yeah. so um anyway kids are everybody nobody has covid Woo! (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah so i cannot wait until the the children's vaccine is ready. I'm, yeah, we're looking we're looking forward to it. And you know, we have mentioned this before. Everybody has their reasons for not getting vaccinated. Anti-vaxxers are in a completely different camp. There are people who are just afraid, don't know yeah. enough, right? right? And when the vaccine is available, I'm I'm not going to be the first person in line putting my kids, you know, <laughs> to get it. Um, but, you know, it is some, it's not something I'm just going to disregard as an option, um, especially since we all want to be, you know, good citizens. All, all of us today and my family got our flu shots. Um, oh, good. Not because we're afraid of getting the flu. We don't want to spread it to anybody. That's yeah, all. Yeah. So, um, anywho, uh, that's that. Let's get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Thank you. <laughs> burn the sage, burn the Palo Santo, feeling good. What is in that bag? Well, we got some new listeners. Ooh. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to thank Aaron and Clave for their five-star reviews. Oh, yes. Yes. Which, by the way, is a great way you guys can help the pod if you can't help financially. Absolutely. And hip-hop air horns coming your way, Aaron and... <laughs> Clay, Clay, Clay. yeah, love you. (laughs) (laughs) And at Jenny Spin on Twitter said, "Okay, let's give this at Fruit Loops a try." Right off the bat, they're drinking Costco wine. That's a great sign. (laughs) That was a while ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They go on to say Lafayette. (laughs) Now let's hope they hop in on a case that gives them an excuse to yell Hercules Mulligan. (laughs) 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 Hashtag spy on the inside. Oh, yes. (laughs) We haven't done that yet, but I am determined to make it happen. Now that that, uh, Jenny Spin has said it. Uh, (laughs) Lastly, Jenny goes on to say, okay, loving it. And some reviewer in iTunes slammed them for white bashing. So even if I didn't 100% dig it before, I'm all in just despite that racist fuck biscuit. Suck it, Travis. (laughs) Racist fuck biscuit. air horns in the world this is so this filled with so many gems thank you at jenny spin yes Uh, thank you we also got some new um patreons this week uh Mm -hmm. sunflower dove and brie k Ooh, sunflower dove i like that i know it's beautiful isn't isn't it um okay here we go sunflower dove here is your tune one two three let's go sunflower show us how you do it Go ahead, put some coin into it. Do your thing like it ain't nothing to it. Soup, a sunflower. <laughs> uh, and thank you very much, some, sunflower. Uh, and Brie K, by the way, Brie K, uh, asking you shall receive. So wink, wink, this is for Brie and Meatloaf. <clears throat> Na sequenya baba and me love. It's the circle of life, and we love to crime, but we don't wanna die or get killed by a guy till we find a safe space. On the internet, <laughs> in the circle, the circle of true crime. <laughs> Boom. And that's for y'all. <laughs> thank you so much for supporting our little show. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so we're going to take a little break and we're going to get into the story when we come back. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network.
Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Okay, we're back. Who is our subject today, Beth? Today's episode is part one about Chao Chiang Yuwo, a.k.a. Gansu's intestinal digging demon murder case. Mm-hmm. Again, this case is going to be extremely graphic and gruesome, so please don't listen if that's not something you want to hear about. Mm-hmm. According to Bert, quote, the gruesome murders were so terrifying it makes Jack the Ripper's act seem far inferior in comparison to this evil gut digger, unquote. Well, that says it all, folks. Please take <laughs> <laughs> Please take care of yourselves. Uh, so now we're going to get into some stats. All right. So this place took place in Xiongye, China, in the early aughts. And the victims were, say their names, Arlene, which means small lotus in Chinese. Last name Liang, or, or I'm sorry, surname Liang. She was 19 years old. So rest in power, queen. Uh, Li Xiaowa which means little blossom in Chinese. And uh, Xiaowa was 17, but she did not die. She, she survived. Uh, and then there's um, two victims. Uh, their full names I didn't see in the story, but uh, Xiao and Peng. Um, the, this this uh, AKA is a mouthful. Uh, what is it called? Inte- Gansu's intestinal digging demon uh, had an MO. That included choking with an interesting weapon, uh, the victim's intestines. Uh, he gravely mutilated uh, and wounded uh, the female genitalia in order to uh, go about it. And as of uh, 2018, um, we're calling this motherfucker John, and he is in jail. Should be underneath yeah. it, but he's inside of it. Uh, and I just wanted to say welcome to Culture Corner. Now, we are calling the killer John to make it easier for y'all listening. Um, We believe culture and names deserve respect. Um, And we will do our very best with the pronunciation of places and the victims in this case. Please forgive us in advance. We are doing our best, but this killer deserves absolutely zero respect. So we will call this motherfucker John. Next question. (laughs) Now we're going to get into the setting. Okay, take us there, Beth. This story takes place in Chianton, a town in the province of Gansu, China and home to about 18,000 residents. Gansu is a landlocked province in northwest China. Historically, it's the combination of two regions, Gan and Su. On the Silk Road, Gansu marked the end or beginning of China proper, depending on which way you were traveling. Interesting. The Silk Road was a network of trade routes. I remember hearing about the Silk Road in, Back in elementary high school. school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, linking China with the West that carried goods and ideas between the different civilizations. And the routes had a lasting impact on commerce, culture, and history. The Silk Road connected China and the Far East with the Middle East and Europe, established when the Han Dynasty in 
and China officially opened trade with the West in 130 BC. The Silk Road routes remained in use until one, four, 1453 AD, I can read numbers, <laughs> when the Ottoman Empire boycotted trade with China and closed them. So that's like 15, 1600 years. That's that a it was, long ass yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it, impressive. Just, yeah, very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The Gansu province in China is predominantly an agricultural area, but compared to other provinces, agricultural production is low. And this is probably due to the climate, which is very dry, and the summers are also very short, Ooh. basically July and August, so very short. And temperatures can fluctuate wildly between night and day. Oh. And north of Gansu is the Gobi Desert and Mongolia. Okay. Okay. Got you. Uh, now, Chen Yantan is located outside and to the east of Siyongye City. Uh, the city of Siyongye has a long history dating back more than 2,000 years. Siyongye was an important city in the ancient Silk Road as a staging point linking the eastern and western routes. Siyongye reportedly means to extend the arm and is said to be an abbreviation of an ancient Chinese quote, to extend the arm of the country through the Western realm, unquote. Hmm. It's like a handshake. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Due to the strategic importance in its military and geographical location, Siongye became the center of politics, economy, culture, and diplomatic activities of every past dynasty in the northwestern part of China. Whoa. And today, Siongye has become a relatively new tourist destination, and it's popular with photographers and Silk Road travelers. Cool. Live show time. <laughs> so... Siyongye <laughs> has a population of around 1.2 million, but only about 260,000 people live in the city proper in the urban area. In addition to Han Chinese, the city is also home to the Uyghur people, a unique culture that incorporates elements taken from the Mongolians, Tibetans, and the Han Chinese. They are spelled similarly, but they are not the same as the Uyghurs who are... Um, Muslim, Chinese, the Muslim Chinese yeah. who are not being treated um, well. Uh, look it up. But uh, the uh, Uyghurs are one of the 55 ethnic groups recognized by the People's Republic of China. About a decade ago, the Chinese government implemented a policy of, quote, returning pastures to grasslands, unquote, which it said was to protect the region's environment. Under the plan, nomads herding animals on grasslands newly classified as non-grazing pastures were offered subsidies to resettle elsewhere. Okay, so that sounds good, right? Uh, well, well <laughs> since the policy was implemented, nearly all Uyghur who traditionally followed a nomadic lifestyle have been moved to permanent homes where they have had to adapt to a more urban setting. This is a policy that has also drastically changed the way of life for China's Mongols and has all but signaled the complete extinction of nomadic living in China. Despite this, animal husbandry is still prevalent among the Uyghur. And that means taking care of animals, right? Yes, yes, okay. it does. Okay. <laughs> so How I, I dare think they, they were discuss like... bestiality? <laughs> no, I, I believe they were, you know, shepherds, basically. And yeah. They had a nomadic lifestyle, and, mm -hmm. and now their, their lifestyle is gone. 
Very sad. Yeah. Yeah. To the west of Siangye City is Siangye National Geopark. There you can see a unique geological phenomenon known in Chinese as Dianxia, which are vibrant, multicolored, layered rock formations known in English as the Rainbow Mountains. Okay. Just the word Rainbow Mountains. It sounds amazing. I know. Right? It's like Zoloft for my eyes. <laughs> Uh, and, and I want it. Uh, the incredible landscape is the result of 24 million years of sandstone and mineral deposits and tectonic plate shifting. It has been described by many as a living watercolor painting. The geopark was chosen by Chinese national geography as one of the six most beautiful landforms in China. Wow. Yeah. So when I was researching this, I, I, I tried to go down you know use google maps and go down and look at the city and stuff like that and uh-huh. um from what i could tell there was still a lot of um like farms and stuff around the city there was the urban part of the city and then outside of that was like little clusters of of housing like and little buildings. villages yeah little villages uh-huh. and uh-huh. and uh farms and stuff and then over to the west was this park and i saw the pictures of the park and it just looks gorgeous and you can't like pull that little guy down into the streets like you the street view uh-huh. <laughs> you Damn can't it. do that in china because uh you know ah. Darn it. <laughs> you just can't. But uh, the people do take pictures. And so sometimes you can drag the little guy onto a dot and it'll show you what that location looks like. And yeah. so I did that. And it looks it looks really nice. Like, uh, you know, there's ancient buildings and stuff like that. It looks really pretty. Oh, yeah, yeah. I looked up the Rainbow Mountain and boy, my breath is Take it yeah, away from I, me. I kind of want to go to Tsiangye. Me too. Um, and we don't have to worry because our killer today is in jail. So, uh, <laughs> But now we're going to talk about his early life. So what do you got, Beth? So Tsiao Tsiang Yuwo, a.k.a. John, was born on November 5th, 1970 in Gansu District, Tsiangye City. John grew up in an ordinary working class family and his parents both worked at a construction company. John was the youngest of five siblings. He had three older sisters and one older brother. Ooh, when birth order is mentioned in these kinds of cases, I'm like, mm, very significant. Yes. Uh, and now, I think I it don't... is. Agreed. Now, because yeah. he was the youngest, John was favored and spoiled by his parents, brother and sisters alike, ever since he was a baby. He developed a bad temper and was also lazy. He didn't like to work. And he was not a good student. His father tried to discipline him to some extent, but it really didn't work. In his early adulthood, John fell in love with a girl, but the girl's family felt that the Xiao family was too large and too poor, and therefore unsuited for their daughter. So the girl's parents pressured their daughter to end the romance. It was at this time that John began to drink heavily. When drunk, John often provoked fights with whoever came in his path. He was a relatively strong man and six feet tall with a sturdy and powerful physique. Uh, He usually won his fights and he soon gained a reputation as a tough guy in the neighborhood. He gradually got mixed up with more and more shady characters, and his behaviors got worse as time went on. <laughs> Sounds so excited. <laughs> I, I'm, 
<laughs> I shouldn't, but I do. Sorry. But you do. Yeah. <laughs> John's older brother, Jianmin, or Jimmy, was not much better, and the two often teamed up together, plotting and committing petty crimes. In 1989, John was sentenced to six and a half years in prison for theft, and he was sent to serve in a labor camp. John did well in prison and was released early in 1994 when his sentence was commuted one year early. But because he was an ex-con, John couldn't find a decent job, so he relied on his parents to support him. Depressed, John began to get drunk nearly every day. Then, influenced by his drug-addicted brother Jimmy, he soon spiraled downward into regular drug use. His father soon came to believe that his youngest son was hopeless and brought shame to the family. So he just began to ignore him. Great way to fix a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Father and son barely spoke, and they only communicated through John's mom and sisters. John went in and out of jail frequently from 2001 through 2004, mostly for drug charges. Doing drugs. Doing drugs. Oh, yes. It's been a while since we brought that one out. Uh, On March 14th, 2004, John was released from the labor camp after serving time for drug charges. He apparently went straight to the bar where he met a woman whose name we do not know. According to her, though, during their first encounter, John told her all about his checkered past. But in spite of his shortcomings, the two fell for each other, quickly began a relationship and eventually moved in together. Three AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing four one one, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts. People who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. So now we're going to get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. Sometime in April 2004, John was reported to authorities for a possible assault charge when a female massage parlor salon employee nicknamed Moo Moo called police saying that she'd been beaten by a client. 
Mumu told police that after the assault, the customer took her mobile phone, too, but he eventually came back to the parlor and returned the phone back to her. What? (laughs) Yeah. scratching my head. That is odd. Now, police investigating the crime eventually identified John as the perpetrator. The police came to his family home and found John sleeping after a night out of binge drinking. Facing police questioning, John admitted that he did physically attack Mumu, but stated that it was an altercation of two willing participants and that she had slapped his face first. They were just Mm. having fun. Yeah, just a (laughs) lover's quarrel. Yeah. Just a little slap fest. Yeah. (laughs) A love tap. (laughs) According to police records, John said he went to the salon to get his hair washed. And afterwards, Mumu asked if he wanted any other services. John decided that she must be a sex worker, so he started calling her names. Mumu got mad and started calling him names. He described Mumu as a quote-unquote tough cookie. Huh. Well, it sounds like she was. Now, John was drunk at the time, and he described the fight as, quote, unquote, silly. (laughs) I'm sure (laughs) Mumu was laughing hysterically. That's why she called the police, so she could tell them about how hilarious this was. How silly it was. So Mumu slapped John and threw stuff at him. John pushed her around, then grabbed her phone as he left. But after he left, he thought better of it and took the phone back to her because he'd just gotten out of prison, and he didn't want to go back. And obviously, if you don't want to go to jail, you give people their phone back, right? (laughs) John thought it was a fair fight with an equally tough chick. And and as he was talking, he rolled his eyes, expecting that the matter would be closed. The detectives determined that no one was really injured and no property was actually stolen. So the incident ended with the police lecturing John for a good hour with warnings of possible rearrest. They also asked John to give Mumu some cash compensation so she wouldn't file charges against him. What? That's a weird (laughs) policy. (laughs) That That is an extremely odd policy. Somebody yeah. was assaulted and the police say, just pay her. Just give her some <laughs> just, money. Just give her some money. Wow. Okay. Uh, so on August 17th, 2004, at 11 o'clock in the evening on a rainy night, it was a dark and stormy night, an old man was herding sheep back home. Remember we talked about the Ugers. I don't know if he was one, but that's what I thought. But he was herding. He was herding sheep uh, when passing a dirt road near several bungalows and small farmhouses. The old man vaguely saw a girl lying on the side of the road. The position where the girl was resting was only 500 meters away from an abandoned bungalow, and there was a small forest next to it. The dirt road was rugged, and people were often injured by tripping over and falling, which is what the man thought must have happened in this case. He hurried over to the girl and said, quote, My child, you okay? The dirt roads here are bumpy and slippery, so be careful when you walk at night. Do you need help to get up? Unquote. After shouting a few times, the girl still appeared to be motionless. The old man thought that the girl was too weak to move, so he walked a few steps closer, ready to lift her up. Suddenly, the old man stepped on a puddle of things. Something soft, he felt. In the dark, the old man could not see clearly, but he saw that a rope seemed to be wrapped around the girl's neck. The old man was taken aback. He got out a lighter from his pocket and took a closer look. But at first glance, the old man was so frightened, he threw away the lighter and ran away, forgetting his flock. 
After running a few steps, the old man stumbled and fell to the ground. His face was bleeding and his heart was racing. His entire being was taken over by fear and horror. He mastered what little strength he had left in him, got up and ran to the main street and shouted, quote, Call the police! Call the police! Something bad happened! It's too scary! It's too scary! Unquote. A few passerbys asked, What happened? But the old man was overwhelmed and was speaking incoherently. Two young men decided to walk towards the direction the old man was pointing to with flashlights on. As soon as they saw the crime scene, the two young men gasped. One cried, damn, Lord have mercy. The other said, oh, fuck me. They saw a young girl lying on her back on the ground with a bloody thing wrapped around her neck. Her legs spread out and her body covered in blood. She was dead. But what was even more frightening was the thing wrapped around the girl's neck turned out to be an intestine. The intestine had been pulled out from her vagina and more were piled up between her legs. Now they knew what the old man stepped on, that soft puddle. That's what it was. It was her guts. The two men were scared, quote, out of their fucking minds, unquote. Mm-hmm. One guy felt an urge to vomit, but mm-hmm. ended up pissing his pants, and the other guy ran away. <laughs> wow. Although he did uh, run to the police. Yeah, all these reactions, totally understandable. Understandable. Yeah, I, I don't know what I would do. I, I, I really don't. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. But That is a pretty frightening scene. Yes, ma'am. So when Xiangye police officers arrived on the scene, they were equally stunned. Some of them had worked as crime scene detectives for over 30 years. They had handled hundreds of serious criminal cases, but none of them had ever seen anything like this. Later, according to forensic evidence and after autopsy, the coroner determined that the girl had been manually strangled first, and then the killer had reached in through the vagina and pulled out almost all of the intestines from her abdominal cavity. Whoa. Yeah. According to authorities, the intestines had been pulled out cleanly, not by accident and not by a freakish rage. You know, one thing that is really remarkable is how, really how fragile the human body is. Yeah. <laughs> the the insides. And yeah. part of me was like, is it really possible? Possible but, to do that? Yeah. Now, I didn't actually look it up. But from my <laughs> my experience, the tissues in there are not as... Um, fortified or strong as you might think you would think yeah and uh this is uh, to me it sounds totally possible plausible all the things um and horrific yeah i just don't know i don't, I don't want to think about how they did it oh well i do <laughs> So, <laughs> and I'm still, there's this meme of the woman and there's all these math problems in front of her face. And oh, she's yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. <laughs> That's me with this story. Uh, anyway, uh, so a forensic expert was convinced that the killer had to have had a great deal of knowledge in human anatomy or was possibly a very experienced butcher. It was believed that the murderer had a sophisticated modus operandi. Unfortunately, there were no witnesses and no physical evidence. There were no footprints or fingerprints to be found at the crime scene because it was raining. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know that there was anything to find. Um, Fingerprints. Like, where would they find fingerprints? Good point. (laughs) OG of true crime. You did it again. The girl was eventually identified as Liang Arlene, who lived at a boarding house nearby. Arlene means a small lotus in Chinese. 
Police speculated that the killer must have harbored a bitter hatred towards Arlene, so they began questioning Arlene's landlord, relatives, and friends. According to her landlord, Arlene was a villager from the rural... rural, rural there's that word again. We did this last episode. <laughs> Arlene was a villager from the rural part of town, and she was only 19 years old. Arlene's family was very poor, and her parents were simple farmers. Arlene also had a younger brother who had just passed the admission exam to attend a university university in Beijing. So Arlene had dropped out of school without graduating in order to work. She wanted to help support her family and pay for her brother's future. Arlene went to work as a salesperson in a shopping mall in Gansu District, Xiangye City, and rented a room in a boarding house. Arlene was described as a kind-hearted person who was friendly and always enthusiastic to lend a helping hand to others who were in need. She was small-statured and beautiful, and everyone who knew her liked her. Arlene was decent and honest, and her social activities were very limited. Uh, She was not a party girl, uh, nor did she have any known boyfriends. The story quickly spread throughout the town of Tiangye and then spread to the rest of the province, causing panic in the surrounding area. And just a month later, the killer struck again. His next victim was another young girl, just 17 years old. Her name was Li Chiawa. Chiawa means little blossom in Chinese. Beautiful name. Yeah. Uh, Chiawa worked in a small and intimate beef noodle restaurant on East Street in Ganzu District. The establishment was owned and run by a woman named Ming, who was the chef. The restaurant had just been open for three months, but Lady Ming had great ramen skills and the business had been booming. Xiaowa was the only waitress and she also performed multiple other duties. Xiaowa was another child from a poor farming family. In recent years, Xiaowa's father suffered from a chronic disease and could not do heavy physical work, so he relied on his wife to do the farming. The family suffered in silence, which isn't uncommon in rural China, but they kept their spirits up instead of being bitter at the poor fate life had bestowed upon them. In order to provide financial support to pay for her father's medical bills and give chances to her younger siblings to go to school, Xiao Wa dropped out of school and went to work. Uh, she got a job in Ming's noodle shop, and with her youthfulness and hardworking discipline, she soon earned the owner's affection and deep fondness. On September 20th, 2004, close to midnight, the last wave of diners finally left the noodle shop. After a night of long and tiresome serving hours, Xiaowa needed to use the bathroom. There was a toilet in the back of the shop, and Lady Ming told her to go ahead and use it since it was late and dark outside. But Xiaowa was afraid someone might walk in on her, so she went to the public toilet located a few blocks away from the noodle shop. Lady Ming cleaned up the dishes while waiting for her to come back. But just a few minutes later, Lady Ming heard a scream echoing through the dark street outside. Lady Ming recognized Xiaowa's voice, so she rushed out and ran to the public toilet. Ming did not see Chiawa there, so she called the girl's name loudly. Quote, Chiawa, Chiawa, where are you? Unquote. The scream and Ming's shouting woke the neighbors who lived nearby. Many of them came outside and gathered around Lady Ming trying to locate Chiawa. Chiawa was finally found in the front of the doorstep of a building just behind the noodle restaurant where she had fainted and lost consciousness. As Lady Ming rushed to help her, she felt Tiawa's lower body was bloody and slippery. With horror, she saw that Tiawa and a pile of intestines lay right in front of her. The poor girl's intestines were pulled out from her vagina, just like the previous murder, mm-hmm. and blood and feces were everywhere. Lady Ming had never seen anything so gruesome, and she fainted with a cry right on the spot. 
Fortunately, there were other neighbors nearby who hurried to fetch the local medics and called for the police. Xiaowa was sent to Xiangye City People's Hospital, and the hospital staff immediately summoned experts to save her life. Director Leo Beifu of the General Surgery Department personally performed the operation, which lasted several hours. Dr. Liu had undergone countless surgical operations and had seen many tragically injured patients, yet he was completely stunned when he saw Xiaowa's condition. Only one-third of the intestines could be saved. In addition, there were multiple ruptures to her vaginal wall causing serious damage. It was explained to the family members that if Xiao Hua could recover from this trauma, after every meal, she would have to excrete rather quickly, and she would also need to eat liquid food seven or eight times a day in order to absorb enough nutrients. Xiao Hua was so badly injured that she would lose her ability to work forever, mm. and she might not even be able to take care of herself without additional caretakers. Her reproductive system was also seriously injured. Having children was out of the question. During an interview with Dr. Liu later, the doctor stated his deep concerns and broke down in front of the camera in tears. Yeah, it's a, I mean, Awful. she was really young. The rest yeah. of her life. The rest is, of her life, um, yeah. Totally, drastically changed and um, ruined. Um, Xiaowa's mother rushed to the hospital immediately after she heard the bad news, and she and Lady Ming commiserated with each other. Xiaowa's family was poor, and there was no way that they could afford to pay for the surgery and the medical expenses of 40,000 yuan, let alone her road for recovery. Lady Ming decided to sell her noodle shop to raise money for Xiaowa. Oh, wow. For- I know. Mm. These people really loved her. Yeah. Fortunately, all the doctors and nurses who participated in Xiaowa's care donated their time and even their own money to help. Oh, my God. I know. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you, but- this is remarkable. It is. The medical staff called for a general assembly resulting in a unanimous decision that the hospital would waive all treatment charges for Xiaowa. Wow, that is, that's incredible. Yeah. As the news spread through media coverage, the citizens of Xiangye uh, and even many overseas Chinese who heard the story donated money to Xiaowa's recovery fund. When she was discharged from the hospital a month later, Xiaowa's family received a donation of more than 100 thousand yuan, which was to be used for her rehabilitation and living expenses. That's amazing. It is. It is. The citizens of Xiangye were terrified. Women would not go out alone, even in broad daylight. Mm. The local economy was also greatly affected by these incidents, and many businesses decided to relocate their establishments elsewhere, one after another. The impact on the community was devastating. Wow. That entire business is just... Just... Picked up a move out of here. Now, this put greater pressure on Xiangye Police Department. The public demanded a swift investigation and expressed an urgent need to capture the perpetrator. Under this pressure, the minister of the Ministry of Public Safety gave a directive. The police department must solve this case quickly. As a result, a task force was established. As soon as Xiaowa was brought back from a medically induced coma, the detectives from the task force asked her what she remembered. She said, quote, I left the noodle shop to go to the public toilet. In the dark, abruptly, someone strangled my neck with an arm and a rope. It was dark, and I could only see the silhouette of the perpetrator, and I vaguely felt the person must be an adult man. I thought he was walking at night and treated me as perhaps a wandering ghost. So I hurriedly begged for mercy and said, Uncle, I'm a human, not a ghost. 
The man didn't let go. He didn't speak, and he strangled my neck tightly. Before long, I fell into a semi-conscious state. The man dragged my body for a short distance. Suddenly, I felt a heart-piercing pain in my lower body. I couldn't help screaming and soon fainted. I don't know anything after that. When I woke up, I was already in the hospital. Unquote. Wow. Um, having been attacked from behind and in the dark, Xiaowa could provide little information about her attacker. She later stated that she just saw the outline of a man, but never saw his face clearly. Judging from this special modus operandi, it's obvious that the murderer who attacked Xiaowa was the same person who killed Arlene a month prior. I mean, how many of these cases you I was get? going to say, uh, <laughs> very troubling if it was somebody different. Common, yeah. <laughs> But the case puzzled police. It wasn't at all like their other experiences with sex crimes, and there did not appear to be a financial motive at all. <laughs> like, what's the motive? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I guess I wonder it, what the definition of sex crime, because he didn't have sex with them. Right, he right. Violated I think their female genitalia. Right. I mean, I think there is an element of a sex crime there. but. Okay. It's just not which it's not normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that sex crimes are normal, <laughs> but right. like sex crimes are abnormal, but this is abnormal, abnormal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, off the Richter. <laughs> now, neither Arlene nor Xiaowa had been raped, as we know, in the usual sense. The location where Arlene was killed was only 500 meters away from her boarding house. And Xiaowa was assaulted near the noodle shop where she worked. The perpetrator was brazen and fast. Yeah, that's another thing that uh, struck me was how fast these happened. Right. And well, how I don't be- know about the first one, Arlene, but uh, f- as f- for Tsiowa, it seemed like it happened really fast. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but uh, it is hard to be quick at anything when you're really drunk or doing drugs. <laughs> and so how did he do it? I don't know. Yeah. It, and it does remind me of Jack the Ripper because he was also fast. Really? Yeah. From okay. from what I understand, yeah. Okay. Well, look, OJ Drew Crime says it. I'm gonna believe it. You don't need to say anything else. It's it's it is it is it is so. So anyway, both victims were considered quote unquote good girls without any love interests, and they were not in any relationships. Both families were simple farmers without any known enemies or even neighborly disputes. Arlene and Tsiowa were both poor and did not have fancy clothes or jewelry, nor did they even carry purses or backpacks. Um, a neighborly dispute is an interesting one. Um, only because, this is a tangent, but my parents, my dad, uh, he's dead now, but he, him and my neighbor, my dad's neighbor did not get along. And huh. so one Christmas, my dad gifted the neighbor a DVD of the movie, A Time to Kill. Well, I don't know <laughs> if I know that one. I've never seen the movie, but I just think it's interesting to hand another person <laughs> who you are, you don't get you along don't like with. A, a Time movie. to Kill. <laughs> yeah, about, yeah. Anyway, about a time to kill. Uh, I don't, I just, anyway, Xiaowa had just entered the workforce less than two months prior. She hardly knew anyone in town. Uh, Xiaowa's attacker never asked for money or searched for her, you know, material goods. So police came to the conclusion that this was a serial murder case and the perpetrator had an extreme perversion. You think? 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not here to kink shame, but it does but sound yeah, a little don't, off. Don't, uh, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> According to the police profiler's assessment, the perpetrator would show some notable antisocial behaviors, and most likely he was a loner, a marginal person who lived at the bottom of society. He targeted smaller girls under the age of 20, which showed that the killer had a relatively insecure personality. Ooh. Even though he, a big man, as Chiawa recalled, he did not attack older women who had a better chance of defending themselves. Wow. These profilers just every time they're usually <laughs> right, you know, on, right yeah. on. How do they do that? Uh, <laughs> the most bizarre thing in the case, of course, was the pulling out of the intestines from the victim's vaginas. This could be seen as evidence that he had an extreme hatred toward women in general. His, quote, unparalleled skill, unquote, in such violence shows he must have a great deal of knowledge in human anatomy or he was accustomed to slaughtering animals. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. So uh, that's where we're going to leave it for today. So you'll have to tune in next week to hear the rest of the story about the evil gut digger. Oh, my. Can't wait. <laughs> now let's move on to how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Well, this one looks like a doozy. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, so this is from Megan. Mm -hmm. We mentioned her in our last episode. She does the Charlie Project. The Charlie Project, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she uh, she sent a suggestion, and her suggestion is to use a duress code, which is basically mm. a code to let someone else know that you're being held against your will. Ah. So an example of that would be like asking your significant other how their mother's doing, even though their mother died a decade ago. So something that to let them know that uh, you're not OK, even if they, yeah. you know, if they like, are you OK? Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm fine. Uh, how's your mom? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I love this code. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we hope nobody will ever have to use it. But this is a good one to keep in the back pocket. 
Yeah, right? yeah. Might as well uh, set one up with your loved ones. You know, have that in your back pocket just in case. Hopefully, you'll yeah. never need to use it. What would yours be? Have you thought about it? I can't tell you. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> then everybody will know. Yeah, yeah. But actually, My- I haven't. I haven't come up with one yet. I was thinking mine would be something like, um, "Oh, I can't wait to go sledding in the snow." How about you? <laughs> If, or skiing. People, I can't wait to go skiing. Yeah. Or, if people or heard watching, that about Wendy. Watching sports. Oh, I can't wait to watch the game. Did you see those cowboys on their horses? I mean, people, that's how you know. Something yeah. is very wrong. Something, if what, Wendy something is ain't right. talking about fucking with the snow or it's Bjorts. Uh, so for those of y'all listening, uh, yeah, that's a great one. Thank you, yeah. Megan. Yeah, thank um, you. Yeah, now we're going to get into the shout-out portion of our show where we shout-out any content uh, by or about any marginalized or othered people or any true crime goodies. And I wanted to shout-out, I love this show. <laughs> Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. Yeah, have you yeah. watched it? I have. <laughs> oh, my God. I Sometimes I've, I'm like, there's not another episode yet. All right, I'll just rewatch this one. <laughs> Yeah. It's so good. I'm just uh, waiting for the next episode. I know. Tick tock, tick tock. Now, it's about a murder that happens in a building and three of its residents decide they're going to start a true crime podcast about it. <laughs> and it, I just, I love it. I love yeah. it. This is what we do. Um, but it's got a great cast. Martin Short. Um, Steve Martin. Guy? Steve Martin. Yeah. And uh, Selena Gomez. It's yeah. just really, really like it's fun. good. Yeah. It's fun. So yeah. check it out. What do you got? So uh, clickbait on Netflix. I've seen this on my you should watch part of Netflix. Yeah, and I and I wasn't going to watch it because okay. the, the graphic is a, a white guy. And it's like, <laughs> uh, I don't care. You know, I don't yeah. want to watch another show about a white guy. Hello. But it's not really about him. So oh. it's it, I mean, the story centers around his disappearance. OK. And a video gets posted on social media and in it he's shown beaten up and holding signs that say he's abused women and it, they say if it gets five million views he'll be killed Whoa. and yeah so um it's not like i said it's not really about him it centers on this incident but it's more about the people in his family and others around him and uh there's a diverse cast and so um and and i couldn't stop watching Um, really is it a series or a movie it's a series but i think there's only i think there's six episodes (gasps) and well yeah and i had to keep I had to find out what happened. Like it, it's not what you expect. Like really, yeah. The, oh, like now I thought I, can't I had wait. it figured out by episode five, and I was wrong. So what? you were wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. Oh yeah. my god, my mouth is literally watering seeing the word <laughs> clickbait. I cannot <laughs> wait. They got me. I'm yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that is only murders in the building on Hulu and clickbait on Netflix. Um, 
Well, that's it for today. Uh, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. So true. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. detective came and knocked on the door and I said is it Renee and he just gave me that solemn look it was the worst day ever the proof podcast is back with a new case and a new season 23 years ago 18 year old Renee Ramos went missing her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town I don't think that they arrested the right people it's about time somebody's trying to do something she had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to Season 2 of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.